0: fifty two A Happy birthday to you a happy birthday to you may you find Jesus near every day of the year a happy birthday to you a happy birthday to you the best that you've ever had Woohoo Hello and welcome to this episode of More Than a Song Episode 52, can you believe it? Thank you for joining me today as we celebrate my one-year anniversary of this podcast. You just heard Emily and Meredith singing happy birthday to the podcast, and uh, so I'm thankful that uh, we've been here for a year and that you're listening today. Without further ado, I'd like to jump right into what we're going to be talking about today on the episode which is the song Lord I'm Ready Now by Plum. Now, I find it interesting to read backstories on the songs. I try to do this every week. If I can find kind of the story behind the song, I'm going to read it, and sometimes I comment on it, and uh, sometimes I even incorporate the songwriter's thoughts into my own discussion. But sometimes I just link to the article in the show notes for those of you who are interested. But this week, the backstory behind Plum's song, Lord, I'm Ready Now, it really completely caught me off guard. And I had one of those, oh, I had no idea moments. I have to be honest, never when listening to this song have I perceived the place that Tiffany Arbuckle Lee, which is Plum's name, also known as Plum, I didn't realize that that's where she was coming from. And now that I know, I think of this song as even more powerful than before, because it can be interpreted and applied from where you are in your walk with God. Perhaps you're like Plum, and you're just a mess, and you need to let go. just let go And I feel exposed But it's so beautiful Cause this is who I am article with New Release Tuesday, Tiffany reveals her broken marriage and God's restoration of it. She says with this song, and she's talking about the song we're reviewing this week, she said, I was reflecting on that day when I was on my knees and praying, not if, but when, God was going to restore my marriage. I trusted Him that it would turn out better than I could do on my own. I had released this to God and knew it would be better, and that excited me and gave me a peace and hope she also she goes on to say i committed to give god all the glory all the praise and honor for the restoration of my marriage i owned what i had done wrong in our marriage what had made me difficult to live with and what had caused a disconnection i'd been selfish and was putting my career first and although fame and fortune are fleeting and making a difference in someone's life is eternal i kind of wanted to be rich and famous that heart and my agenda was a weak and empty place spiritually. I had fallen victim to loving myself more than Jesus. I cared more about my status than about my spiritual health. I was distracted and disconnected, and there was room for darkness to climb in. And then she adds this part about Christian music that I really love. She says, That day when I prayed for my marriage, I heard My Hope is in You, sung by Aaron Shust. I couldn't get enough of Christian music from that day forward. Christian music was like oxygen in my lungs. I had spent so much of my career thinking I was cooler than Christian music, almost ashamed of it. I wanted so badly to be considered mainstream. But I had hit rock bottom. Our marriage was falling apart. We had health issues, and it was so heavy, overwhelming, and dark. For the first time, I realized that the hope I was getting was from the Christian music industry I was a part of, which gives hope. To listeners, I just love that. I think that it's so neat that she can see what we see in Christian music such a place of hope and restoration and encouragement. She goes on to say, I knew I would be praising God for the rest of my life, and I have a completely new view of my role as an artist. Christian music has a purpose, and it is music that pushes us in the direction of peace, hope, being positive, opposite of the world. I've felt hopeless, and I'm part of something that gives hope when you feel hopeless. I'm part of something that connects with people where I was. There is hope. You are not alone. and God is good. And then finally, she adds this. For anyone listening to this song, you don't have to have regrets. God can use you. With God, it's never too late, never to start over. It's being able to live in the now that my Jesus has forgiven and forgotten my past and that he can use me and wants me and he wants me to want him back. All of that is beautiful and I've truly fallen in love with Jesus for the first time. I'm hungry for God's word and this song is birthed out of all of that. Give it all to Jesus. Live for him. Now, this is truly my prayer for you. And on this podcast, we use Christian music. You are listening to Christian music on the radio, and we use that to propel you into God's word. It's my prayer for each of you that you would have an unreasonable desire for God's word. And just like Tiffany said, that you would have a hunger for it. Now, the benefit of Christian music is not just that it brings hope, but that it brings hope based on the truth found in the lyrics that link back to God's word. And that is where the power of the music lies. The life-giving, life-changing power. So the next time you hear the song, you might consider the story of the songwriter that I just read and her journey back to right relationship with God and right relationship with her husband and others. But I, I personally can't get one character in God's word out of my mind when I hear this song. And that is Jonah. And even though I know Plum's story, I just can't stop thinking that this is Jonah's song. Here's the deal, however. You know, for you to have the same experience as I'm having, you're really going to have to read Jonah for yourself. And I know that I say this every week, but I really mean it. In preparation for this episode, I have followed my own advice that I give you every week. I have listened to Jonah. I have read Jonah several times in several versions. I have read it out loud. I have pondered it alone. I have pondered it with others. I have pondered it while listening to this song. I recently purchased an online Bible study that I can't wait to recommend to you. Now, I have to wait because it's per- currently in a beta version and it's not available for purchase right now. But as soon as it's available, I will be introducing it to you because I love it that much. Now, in one of the videos in this study, I saw a tool that I've taught you before, I'm, but I it, I learned it from a whole New perspective. Now, this tool I've encouraged you to use over and over, and that is to read the Bible in context, meaning the verses before and after the verses that you are studying. And if at all possible, I always encourage you to read the whole book. Now, Jonah is one of the easiest books to accomplish this task because it's only four chapters. But the new idea I'm talking about came in the form of an example. Now, Keith Farron is the author of this Bible study, and he opens one of the videos in the study in, in a movie theater. He's sitting in a movie theater, and he begins to use this theater as an example. And he compares reading our Bibles One verse at a time to watching a movie, one scene at a time, and then pausing the movie in between each scene to discuss it. And if this is the first time that you've ever seen the movie, not only would it not be pleasurable at all to watch the movie that way, but I'm pretty sure you wouldn't really get the movie either. So, I took this idea a little further when discussing it with a friend this week. In high school, I watched the movie Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Now, so as not to seem older than I am, I want to disclose that the movie came out in 1975, and I was not in high school in 1975. I was on the earth. In 1975, but that's as far as I'm going to go with that, so <laughs> anyway, my friends all loved this movie, and so I watched it, and I thought it was ridiculous. I didn't like it at all, and I didn't really understand it, but my friends insisted that the more I watched it, the funnier it would get, and so reluctantly, I subjected myself to this movie over and over again until it was funny. And so, in fact, I just read a review on Rotten Tomatoes. It calls it a cult classic, as gut-bustingly hilarious as it is blithely ridiculous. I agree. Well, once I watched the film over and over again, something happened. My friends and I would quote ridiculous lines from the movie... For example, like when King Arthur cuts off the arms of a knight, and the knight starts kicking him and taunting him, and the king says, you've got no arms left. Of course, it's British, which I'm terrible at, but I'm going to try it anyway. And the knight declares, yes, I have. It's just a flesh wound. So even if you've never seen the movie, I think you can see using the phrase, it's just a flesh wound in conversation with friends. And if you have seen the movie, then it's funny. It's funny every time you use it. And you can kind of have this little inside joke when you uh, use the line from the movie. Now, I could hear that line and use it in a conversation even without seeing the movie. So like I just explained to you, this was a scene in this movie where the guy says, It's just a flesh wound, and you can understand the scene. You can kind of picture this knight with no arms, kicking and taunting the king and saying this line, and you don't even have to see the movie to understand what I've just explained to you. But it's not going to hold the weight or understanding, and especially not the humor, as someone who has seen the whole movie and then pulls out a small part to highlight or quote with friends. So the same is true with all the stories and the letters that are included in the Bible. Now when you read them as a whole over and over again, you gain a familiarity and an understanding of the story that that is then going to allow you to pull out small scenes and ponder them. But you won't distort them because you understand how it all fits into the big picture. I've been reading through the Bible with a group of people, and we all post our thoughts as we're going along in an online Facebook group. And this week, someone posted about how in Leviticus and in, in Exodus 2, that God declares, I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. And how that reminded this person of Jesus calling or being called Emmanuel, God with us. And that that, that was always God's plan, that he be with us and among us, even as far back as the Garden of Eden. And you don't come to this kind of conclusion if you've never watched the whole movie. You will gain some knowledge, but you're not going to get that depth of revelation that I so desperately want for you. And I desperately want you to discover, to discover it for yourself because it is so rich when you do so I wish I could get you to stop and go read Jonah and then come back Um, and you know maybe you will maybe you'll pause this go read Jonah and come back but I realize that's really not how podcasts work and you probably are not going to do it anyway so I'm going to go ahead and recap a little bit but this is the cliff notes so I really want you to go watch the movie for yourself it's only four chapters you can listen to it on your YouVersion app in less than 15 minutes And you don't even have to read it. You can just listen to it. So here's the recap. Jonah is a prophet. Now, his last message to the people was an encouraging one, and I have a feeling that this kind of made him a rock star. You know, anytime you have a prophet that's going to say nice things that God said about the people, then they are probably going to like you. Uh, If you're a prophet like Jeremiah that keeps saying negative things, then they don't like you and they actually want to kill you. But Jonah's probably in good standing with these people, and then, uh, so and you know this because he is mentioned in 2 Kings. So, but in the book of Jonah, he kind of starts off saying, "The Lord says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are." So, Jonah runs away. <laughs> in fact, it's like he's trying to run away to the end of the earth because he's going he gets on a boat to go to Tarshish. It's 2,500 miles away from Joppa, which is where he gets on the boat. And Nineveh is only 500 miles away where Jonah gets on the boat. Interesting. Anyway, I recently heard a story, a sermon actually on Jonah. And the pastor concluded that Jonah has too many chapters. He said if he would have said yes to the Lord in verse 2, it would have been over. He goes on to conclude that when we say no to God, More drama is added to our lives and thus more chapters. Enough of these extra chapters. Just say yes to God. And I loved that point. So anyway, back to Jonah. He's running. He's trying to hide from God. Which, by the way, he knew was impossible. Every good Hebrew knew the Psalms of David. And as a prophet of God, you just know that Jonah had to know what David said in Psalm 139 when he says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me. And the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. So, but even if Jonah knew this, he still tried. He still tried running away. So fast forward to this big storm. He's on the boat. The big storm comes up and he gets tossed over into the stormy sea only to be swallowed by a big fish. Now, here's a side note. When I was listening to Jonah on my YouVersion app this week, uh, in the New Living Translation, I laughed because it said, The Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. It just made me chuckle that phrase, The Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. That's just my little side note. So after three days and three nights in this great fish that the Lord had arranged to swallow him, Jonah finally cries out to God, and it's almost like he could have written a verse in this week's song. to chapter three, where we read, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. Then it seems like Jonah could have written the chorus of this week's song. Could have ended there. You know, on a high note with Jonah obeying with a happy heart, but it doesn't. Jonah actually kind of gets ticked off because the people of Nineveh repent from their wickedness after he proclaims God's warning and he goes up on this hillside to pout. And he actually suspected that God might do something like that, and that thought made him angry. He really, in his own limited perspective, preferred to see God destroy Nineveh. Because they really were exceedingly wicked. So after that, God gave Jonah a motive check. He gives him this check through this object lesson. And that's really how the story ends. We don't even get to see how Jonah responds to the lesson. It just ends with the lesson that God cares about people. Read the whole movie. It's great. So after you've watched this movie several times, of course, it's not a movie. It's a book that you're reading. But consider it. Think about it. It's a real, it's a very interesting story. And I think that you can imagine what it would, what you, a scene, we've seen enough movies, we could kind of imagine it like a movie. So once you've uh, watched this movie several times, so to speak, I, I want to point out the fact that God is a God of second chances. And if you are in a dark place in desperate need of a second chance, I just want to encourage you. Your years of disobedience will never change the gracious destiny that God has for you. So what can we learn from Jonah's story leading up to his second chance? Well, first of all, you need to come to a place where you recognize your failure or inability to handle the situation on your own. Your desperate need for God. I asked a group of people this week how many of them were in dire circumstances where they just were desperate for God, and several of them raised their hands, and then I reminded them gently that that's that's just right where God wants us. He does not want us walking this out in our own strength. He wants us to depend on Him. So after coming to this place where he recognizes his failure, Jonah comes to a crisis of honest reflection. You know, three days and nights in the belly of a stinky situation, it can do that for you. I I do notice, however, that it took time for him to come to the conclusion that is ultimately revealed in his prayer in chapter 2. I want you to go read that prayer yourself. So after Jonah recognizes his failures um, and kind of has this honest reflection, this led him to actually draw near to God for strength. And deliverance. And in his prayer, he says, As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you. Now we've talked in previous podcasts about the importance of remembering, and we see it again here. In Jonah's reflection, he remembered and then he cried out to God. Here Jonah says that God brought his life up from the pit. And I love that phrasing because it draws me to Psalm 103, where God is described as redeeming our life from the pit. And if you studied Psalm 40 with me a few weeks ago, it says that God lifts us out of the slimy pit. Now, this pit might be dug by others as a trap for you. It might be a pit that you yourself dug and then fell into. It might, have even, it might even be a pit that you have wheel, willingly jumped into. But Jonah draws near to God, and God in turn draws near to him and pulls him out of this pit. So, again, after we recognize our failure and our shortcomings, and through an honest reflection, confess and draw near to God, like Jonah, we, we're going to have an opportunity to recommit ourselves. Don't forget, your years of disobedience will never change the gracious destiny God has for you. As soon as the fish vomited Jonah back out onto the land, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. When you read it for yourself, you're going to notice that the word of the Lord did not change. Jonah truly had an opportunity for a do-over. And maybe your prayer to God can be found in our song this week. with the character of God that Jonah used as his reasoning for his disobedience in the first place. Kind of ironic. He tells God, I ran away because I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, in this case, it was because he believed the disaster on the Ninevites was so well deserved that 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 truth of who God is frustrated him. But that's just another topic for another podcast. But I don't want you to lose sight of the truth all the same. God is a gracious God. He is merciful. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So proclaim to the Lord with our song that you are ready now. Ready to recognize your failure and your shortcomings. Ready to commit to a time of honest reflection. Can I suggest on your own so that you don't have to endure a stinky three-day circumstance like Jonah did. Ready to repent. Confess and draw near to God and ready for an opportunity to recommit and to get it right this time. Ready to obey. So what's next? I think you know what's coming. I want you to read Jonah. Read it often. Read it in various versions. Read it all the way through in one sitting. Listen to an audio version of it. Daily ponder what truth God might want to reveal to you. Then when we bump into each other in heaven, we can quote funny lines like, The Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. (laughs) While you're in God's Word this week, let me know how you're doing. Hop on Twitter or Facebook and let's talk about what you're learning. Or you can leave a comment on this week's show notes at michellenezat.com fifty two. Just a few quick announcements before I leave today. I want to personally thank you for listening with a gift. I know it's my birthday, this podcast's birthday, and so a birthday is worth giving gifts. And I don't want you to have any excuses for not having God's word front and center every day. So I want you to log on to my website at michellekneesat.com and subscribe with your name and email address. And then I'll email you Memoryverse resources every week to display on your smartphone, tablet, desktop, or even a printable so that you can place it in the best location for you. It's just a small token of my thanks and hopefully a useful tool for you. And I want to shout out to Veronese from California, my newest subscriber to my website. My seven-year-old Meredith is official. She has a new podcast on the names of God called More Than a Name. You can find her in iTunes and share it with your friends who have little people. They're nice and short, but from her heart and definitely from God's word. So check it out. She's got two episodes released already. Now, don't miss an episode of my podcast by subscribing in iTunes. And while you're there, would you please leave me a written review and a star rating? This not only encourages me, but helps me stay visible to my new listeners. And as always, if you take the time to review my podcast, I will take the time to personally thank you right here on the podcast. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will use Matthew West's new song, Day One, to inspire us to pick up our Bible and explore. And if you liked this episode, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michelleneesatcom forward slash 52. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time... Take time to meditate on God's Word and consider His ways.